I'm just going to read from a passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 1 down to verse 13 tonight. It says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers uh, were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our, what? Examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is what? Faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. I pray in Jesus' name there'll be revelation and the realities of what you've accomplished for us and the victory that is in Christ would become not only our portion, but our experience. And so I ask for help tonight. Lord, Holy Spirit, come. And I pray for your anointing to rest upon both speaker and hearer alike. For Jesus' sake, amen. Have you ever felt like in your life, when it comes to doing activities where you've done something wrong and you wonder why you did that? I won't ask for hands because I know we've all thought that. Or why, maybe, maybe you've come to faith recently and you're like, why do I still struggle with fill in the blank? What's wrong with me? Why, why is this a difficulty for me? I thought Jesus came to save me from my sin. So if I'm struggling with something, that must mean what? And we come to a wrong conclusion. See, this is where the scriptures is very clear in regards to temptation. Say that word, temptation. Yeah, I know I saw some guy's t-shirt says, I have no problem with temptation. I do it every time I get the opportunity. He enters into it. It was a t-shirt like that. The thing is, is that temptation touches every single person. Can I say this to you? Is that first of all, temptation and sin are not the same thing. Temptation and sin are not the same thing. 
the thought about doing something and actually committing the act is not the same thing. See, that's just falling on some ears here. We're unsure. Good people can be tempted. Do you know that? Can I say this? Jesus was tempted without sin though. So sin and temptation are not the same thing. You can be tempted and not enter into it. You can be tempted and resist temptation and not sin. Lord, help us. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, you'll break this open. Because some of you think something's wrong because temptation still hits you. Some of you think that the thought that comes in your life is that something must be wrong with me. If I've trusted in Jesus, why am I still tempted? We don't like being tempted, do we? It's painful, it's gross. Thoughts come into your brain. You're like, I don't want that. What's wrong with me? And as soon as it comes in, the accusation of the enemy follows and you call yourself a Christian. Temptation and sin are not the same thing. See, this is what the scripture says here in verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as what? Is common to all people. Temptation is common across the world, across the generations. It's temptation is, is, is the same. Um, even in Bible days, you could go all the way back. When Paul wrote this, you're looking at early in the first century, but he's quoting texts that go back to when um, Moses took Israel out of Egypt. And he says it, he makes a list of the things that they did of the temptations that they faced, but they didn't just end at the temptation bit, they entered into it and sinned. He makes a list of them, verse six, lust. You could almost say that he was looking into our generation and making a list of all the activities that people do every day. That lust, the temptation to lock your affections on something and to get mesmerized by it to where you're looking to it to fulfill the need. Maybe you haven't done it, but your imagination has locked in and you set your heart on it. That's where the problem comes in. A fleeting thought is a temptation is not the same thing as an activity of lust where in your, in your innermost being where you're like, I really want that. And you spend the time, you can keep looking at it and you're wanting it, you're desiring it. I think they call it obsession often in our day. I'm obsessed with, that's lust. Lust isn't always something that has to do with a sexual nature. Ladies, you, you, you can lust maybe not after a guy, you could lust after a handbag, after a nice new pair of shoes. You know, when you're walking by the window and you see, oh, I really want that. Okay, what you're doing now, the temptation is seeing it. That's not a problem. They're nice shoes, fair enough. But it's when you turn in your affections then, you begin to, in your, you're going after this. And what does it work out to happen? You'll sacrifice other things to have it. I've watched people steal stuff that they have money for because they've lust, lusted after things. When I was doing security over at Tesco's, you, people got a pocket full of cash and they're stealing stuff. It's bizarre because they really wanted this thing. Lust, you have lust, you have, you have idolaters. 
where people worship other deities. They look for power that doesn't come from Jesus. They look for power that doesn't come from Jesus. People use it all the time, they, good luck charms. They wear power beads. They wear talismans around their neck. They have uh, symbols and, 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 and crystals and, and they're looking, those are idols. They, they, they have the good luck Buddha just by the door so they can touch it on the way out. Did you get rid of your crystals, my dear? Praise God. <laughs> But people have, they're idol worshipers. So I don't worship any idols. Do you believe in God? No, I'm a self-made man and I worship my creator. See that independent spirit that says, I, I don't need any help anywhere. That, that, that attitude of stubbornness is idolatry. Covetousness. Where you're that desiring and going after even what belongs to your your desire that's that's idolatry. So this is this is stuff that falls into categories. People do it all the time, every day. Every time they put a commercial on online or on 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 the telly, they're wanting you to what? Want what's there? To desire it so much, and then it goes into the back of your brain until you're shopping, and then what? Oh, I really want that. And you walk out of the store buying a whole bunch of stuff you didn't really need. You're controlled by something then, those desires that are there. But idolatry, people, people go, go to churches or what's supposed to be a church and there's a statue of Mary there. And they'll go and they'll pray to her. That's idolatry. That's worshiping something that is not God that is asking help from something that is not good. You don't ask for help from the, the saints. I won't ask for hands. But I see that people wear charms around their wrist and they have those things. I was told recently that there's a church in the region here who has a multi-faith room in their building. And in their building, they have a room that's entitled multi-faith. This is supposed to be in a church. Could you imagine that? You know what that is? Idolatry. That church ceased to be a church when it gave itself to multiple faiths. I'm not messing around here. Anyone who can continue worshiping in that context is a blasphemer of the gospel itself. You can't continue to be that there. You can't continue to uphold it because why? If you love Jesus and you know he's the only means of salvation to uphold any other thought, any other religion, you're denying what you claim to believe. I'm just saying. The temptation in our day is to be quiet. Don't say anything, isn't it? Just shush. Don't rock the boat. Well, I'm gonna rock the boat. I'll sink it if I need to. My Jesus walks on the water. My Jesus walks on the water. Sorry, I get a bit... Um, no, I'm not sorry. There's only one way of salvation. And that's in Jesus Christ alone. And if those who claim to be Christians, they dabble with other things, they deny the faith they claim that they have. So there is, in the kingdom of God, those who are idolaters don't inherit it. So don't mess around with it. And if you're an atheist, you know the Bible, oh, Lord help me. You know, the scripture says that only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Only a fool does, don't be foolish. 
Now, I'll tell you this, I've met pastors that have been in the ministry a while, and they think that getting people saved and getting butts on seats, if I can put it that way, that they do everything they can. I watched something the other day where, I don't know, they were doing some football re- reenactment, and the person had a Bible, and the guy kicked the Bible into his air, in the air. This is, this is done in a church, where they do burlesque in a church. This is crazy stuff where they think that it, the only important part is getting people there. That's not the case. That won't get them saved. You don't draw people with carnal things and expect the Holy Spirit to move. Prayer, praise, preach. That's all we do. That's it. We're very simple about it. Why? Because God is in the business of saving sinners who come to him through Jesus Christ. And the gospel is God's power and the salvation. He's enough. When I think I need other means, I deny the fact that God is real. If I need anything else other than the power of the gospel and the power of the spirit to be proclaimed, I'm saying, God, I'm not sure you can handle it. So I'm going to add all my means to it to try to help bolster the ability that you have to save human beings. And that's false. In the heart, you're denying that he even is. (laughs) I was in a pastor's conference a number of years back. And uh, the church that was pastoring at the time, it wasn't New Hope, it was a different one. We were growing. And I was a young man and they, I was American. They thought I brought in some over, some, some newfangled American way of building church. No, we fasted, we prayed, we preached the gospel. I'll tell you, these churches, they had hard wooden benches. And the organ player, she'd, she'd, she'd hold the keys down longer than you could breathe. <laughs> It seems like everything they did there was in opposition to seeing people touched. But it made no difference because the gospel is God's power into salvation. But this group of pastors thought, well, he must have some other way of doing this. So let's invite him to speak at the pastor's conference. It happened to be on, uh, it was in April. It was the first of April. It was on April Fool's Day. And that was the text that God gave me from Psalm 14. Only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I got up and that was my text for the day. And I said, those who think that there's any other way other than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, fasting, praying, seeking God for his presence, the power of the spirit to see people saved in your heart, you're saying there is no God. They never invited me back for some reason. So I'm not just saying this to you. This is something that I I hold to. I believe Jesus is enough. I believe that when you love him, temptation takes a backseat. We'll get to that in a minute. Sin and temptation are not the same. These things that he's naming here, lost idolatry, sexual immorality, sexual immorality, you just go down on a Friday or Saturday night, go into town. How many of you guys are in town on Friday or Saturday? Oh, guilty. Oh, I'm sorry. I won't. And you go downtown and, and the girls are wearing mini skirts that look like belts. Sorry, is that all right for me to say that? And they do. They, they wear clothes that they're, they're they, they, what's the term that they use? They're trying to pull. They're trying to pull. I believe that. Is that the right, correct terminology? Is that the one they still use nowadays? Sorry, I'm a bit older now. 
but they're trying to entice people to enter into sexual immorality. The TV sets it up. The, all of the, all of the uh, movie stars and the, the music people, they want to entice you to give yourself to someone you're not married to. And they say, it doesn't matter. We're all animals anyway. Because we all came out of an evolutionary mindset, so you're nothing more than an animal, so engage in it. No, you were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, and your purity is something that's important to God. God cares about who you sleep with. Why? Especially as a Christian. Because if it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you're sleeping around, what are you doing with Christ in you? Oh, Lord, help us. But this list is, was made, this list was given back in the first century, quoting what they did back. People don't change much, do they? The heart doesn't change much. People seem to be the same. Every generation, they tempted Christ. They tested him. If you're really Jesus, if you can, if you love me, you do this for me. You know, you can't manipulate Jesus. Sometimes we think as Christians, I can tell him what's supposed to happen. That's the way they say how to make God laugh. Tell him your plans. That just doesn't work. They tempted Christ and serpents came in. It says here that they, 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 they complained. Oh, did you see much complaining nowadays? I could ask you, what don't people complain about? If it's not government, it's taxes. If it's not taxes, it's the roads. If it's not the roads, it's the speed limit. If it's not... We, we, complain, we live in Wales and people complain about the rain. That is weird. We complain about everything. If it's not just what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And even when we get it that way, we're still not happy. We complain. Do you know what that says when you complain? There was a pastor who used to, he would take people out on mission, going to other places in the world. And if one of the team members ever complained, he'd never invite them back again. Just once. Why? Because they're saying, one, I deserve better. If I got what I deserved, I'd already be in hell. That's what I deserve. Ooh, someone doesn't like that. If you get what you deserve, I get what I deserve, what I've earned. The wages of sin is death. That's what I've earned. Everything else, the fact that I still get to breathe this side, even if I wasn't a Christian, the fact that I still am in, uh, the sun's still shining on me and the rain is still falling, falls on the just and the unjust, the good and the bad. It's still in a framework of grace. I tell you, there's no sunshine in hell. There's no rain in hell. There's no, there's no peace in hell. Those things are real. And if we get what we deserve, we're all in trouble. But see, I don't want what I deserve. I need grace. I need grace. So when I complain, I'm saying I deserve better than what I've got. And ultimately I'm saying, God, you've given me less than what I deserve. See, the people of Israel, they came out of the land. And, and so they, they, they're, 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 they're out there in the wilderness. And when you've got a million or so people out there, you got to feed them. Fair enough? How do you feed them? God causes... 
this substance, and, and they called it manna, which actually means what is it? Because they didn't know either. The Psalms calls it angel's food, and it would end up on the ground, and they could collect it up, and by the time the sun came up, it would just all kind of disappear. So you gotta get up early <laughs> and you gotta collect it up. You could boil it, you could bake it, you could make all sorts of manna burgers, you know, manna bread. You could make all sorts of stuff with it. And, and they got tired of having bread. Hang on. They got tired of having miracle bread every single day. It's amazing how miracles can even become dissatisfying. And people complained. They said, we should go back to Egypt. At least there we had meat to eat. We should go back to Egypt. Better to be a slave and die in Egypt and still have meat and leeks and garlic and everything else. Really? Ton of this, and I say this to you. It's better to starve in the wilderness than to glutton yourself in Egypt. Lord, help us to understand. And the thing is, is that then they had, they had to drink water. And how do, you, how do you, remember they had not just the people, but all the, all, the, all the cattle and all the sheep and everything else they had with them. How do you give them water out in the middle of a wilderness? I dig it up in a well maybe? No, God says, Moses, strike the rock. And once you strike the rock, I'll cause it to open and rivers will come out of it. And it'll be enough to have all the people to be able to drink. He said, and then every time you need it again, just ask. It was supposed to be a picture of Jesus being struck once and then to receive and that he, he, his life opened up and then those who would come to him could ask and then receive. Moses got ticked at them because all they do was complain. So he actually struck the rock twice. It actually kept him from getting into the promised land himself because he dishonored God's holiness just once. But this rock is Christ. And they got to drink of this miracle of water coming out. Have you ever seen water coming out of a rock? And just flowed. Every day, miracle bread. Every day, water coming. It's impossible. But that's our God. Jesus is like the rivers of living water. And, and you get to drink of him. He said that they were all baptized into Moses. Remember when they went through the Red Sea? By faith, they entered in from leaving Egypt and into what God promised. But they didn't mix what they had with faith. And because they didn't believe God, every problem that came up, they would complain. Every opportunity that came up, they would turn their back. Moses is up on the mountain. He's receiving the Ten Commandments, which what the, you've got the top two. One is, there's no other gods before me. Don't worship anything else and make no idols. And then he comes down. God says, you need to go down to those people because they're already being disobedient. And he gets down there and finds Moses has got the Ten Commandments in his hands. He throws them on the ground. They bust. And they're, they're down there worshiping a golden calf saying, this is God who brought us out of Egypt. Thousands died that day. This list that he gives, all these sins. Can I say this to you tonight? The Bible says all of us have sinned. And unless you repent and put your trust in the Lord Jesus, you too will perish. 
there's no salvation anywhere else. You see, that's mean. No, I'm telling you the truth. I mean, if you're going to go off a cliff, don't you want someone to stand in the way and say, stop. Jesus had to die for you. He had to bleed for you. The only way you could have salvation is God raised Jesus from the dead so that you could have a living savior who would save you from your sins. He would not only forgive and make you clean from them, but he would save you from, let me put it this way. He'll save you from sinning. That's his goal so that you can live a life that's in love. You can live a life that's holy. You can live a different kind of life. Your sin is what got you in all the problems to begin with. The selfishness at the core. I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want. We watch it with our children, don't we? You know how many of you guys got kids, right? How many of you guys had to teach your children how to do bad things? Anyone? If you did, you need to repent because you're not teaching them the right stuff. But you watch a child, another kid has a toy, what do they do? They grab the toy and punch the other one. GBH, man, if that was an adult, they'd be in jail, right? But that's what they learned. If you didn't teach them how to do that, who did? That's the problem. It's in the heart. So when Jesus comes, he says, you have to be born again. You have to be born from above. You have to be born anew by the spirit. He takes out that sinful heart. He takes out that hardened heart and he gives you his spirit and a new heart. One that's like fleshy, it's, it's, it's moldable, it's alive. And he writes his laws on it and he delivers you from it. Now hear me, that's salvation. He sets you free from sin. Romans 6 says, sin shall not be your master anymore because you're not under law, but under grace. Sin is not your master if you're in Christ. That means you don't have to do it anymore. Now, does that mean the temptations go away? No. I wish it did. Now I have to say there are certain things that will go. Like when I, before I was a Christian, I, I smoked a lot. In fact, I smoked just about anything to get my hands on. Illegal, legal, made no difference. And when I became a Christian, I was like, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about not smoking, so I'm gonna continue to smoke. Two years I smoked until God literally made me vomit every time I lit up a cigarette. That was somebody who else was praying that for me. I didn't pray that for myself. And God answered me, answered them, pardon me. And so I quit smoking. Um, I can say now, if you're smoking up a fag or whatever, I, I don't care. There is no, we used to call it jonesing in, in, in this, when I was young. Uh, there, there's no desire in my heart to pick one up again. None. I don't, if I see, if, you know, people are down on Queen Street, they're on crack, they're on a crystal meth, they're on, I, I don't, if I'm smelling someone smoking weed, I'm going, oh man, I wish I had some. It's not in my heart anymore. I'm free. I'm free from that. So those temptations don't appeal. But when you, when there, there are certain things, which I'm not going to tell you what mine are. And please, you don't need to share with everybody else what yours are either. It could get you in trouble. Oh, Lord, help us in this. There are temptations that are common to all people across the board. And those sins that he mentions were just a few of the things that people do. Advertisers are really good at getting your eye. They spend billions to get your attention because they know if they can get it, they've got you. They do it with your children. Temptations that we face, temptations that we face are common to all people, verse 13. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, 
but with the temptation also to make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Temptation is not necessarily a reflection on you. So when you're out and about and some thoughts pop through your brain, has that ever happened? All right, so we've all had that. Oh, wonderful. I'm not an, an exception. So those things pop through your brain. That temptation is not a reflection on you. There is temptations in the world. There are things that are going on, other people's sin, all sorts of stuff. And those things, sometimes it almost feels like your head can end up like a radio antenna, all sorts of things popping in there. And you're trying to tune the station and only to get the right ones. But sometimes stuff goes through your brain. It's not origin isn't in you. It's not coming out of your heart. It's not coming from what you even want. You know how you know, because when sometimes those temptations come, your reaction to begin with is, oh, I don't want that. It shows you it's not your heart. Where's it coming from? Outside. Temptation is not a reflection on you. If that was the case, then the temptations that Jesus went through would have been a reflection on him, and they were not. I want to help you, especially those of you who've started this race, because there's stuff that are going to come at you and you have a victory that you need to employ. You have something that you need to press in and say, ah, I'm not going down that road. That sin is not my master anymore. Jesus is, and I don't need to give in to the temptation. Now, let me say this. There are certain temptations you need, just need to run away from. What do you mean? Well, oh, just looking who's here. If, if somebody comes up to you, so, not me personally, you know, but it's like, <laughs> and some girl comes up to you and like, woo, 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 and like starts to, well, what do you do? You're not going to reason your way out of that one, are you? Run. Run. No, run. Get out of the situation. Don't try to reason with it. Please hear me. There are some people, they can tell if you're interested. And they're a sensual kind of people and they'll try to run. That doesn't make you weak. I was in India and this guy came up to me and tried to sell me his daughter. I think he wanted like 10 rupees or something. I literally ran away. I didn't want to be anywhere near that. Joseph, in the Bible, when Potiphar's wife went for him, he ran so quickly that she grabbed his cloak and he had to run off without it. That dude was intent on getting out of that situation. That's why the Bible says flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside their body, but he who sins sexually sins against their own body run. Don't put yourself in the situation. Temptations. They're not, necessarily a re- they're not necessarily a reflection on who you are. Temptation can come to both sinner and saint. Temptations come to both sinners and saints. The difference between the sinner and the saint is the sinner has no recourse because they're under the prince of the power of the year, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. They struggle with it. In fact, what they've done now in our society is they used to have like a standard of rights and wrongs. 
and now they, they don't know how to help people do it. So they've tried to get them to do what they should do. They don't do that. They, they, do, they know what they shouldn't do. They keep doing that. So what did they do? They just laid the standard down and made it an alternative lifestyle. Lord, help us to understand. Temptations come to both sinner and saint. The promise of God is for the saint. The promise of God is for those that are his children. The promise of God is his faithfulness will back up a plan to get out. That his faithfulness will back up a space for you to escape it so that you don't do it. That's God's provision and it's based in his faithfulness. God is faithful. God is faithful. Say that to someone next to you. God is faithful. And he, he will not allow you. He will not allow you to get tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape. That means you got to look for it. I mean, some of us, you're in a situation and you know the temptation's coming actually before it gets there. If you're sensitive to the spirit, you're aware. And you're like, oh, if I stay in this situation, this is going to get wrong here. Get out then. If you wait till you're over here, you may have a problem. But when, you're, when, when, when it first begins to, to come up, James talks about it like a seed that goes in. And then it, it conceives and it grows and grows and then gives birth to sin, which leads to death. So what that means is that there's a, there's, a, there's a working this thing out. Sometimes you get a thought into your brain and you're like, hmm, I won't do it now, but I'll store it for later. Get rid of it. When that temptation comes, say no. Take every thought captive. Not every thought that gets into your brain is yours. Sometimes you can have demonic suggestion. Sometimes you can have someone else who likes to whisper in your ear. You know those friends that you got that always are having a go? Let me just say this to you. If you're in a relationship, your marriage, and your girlfriends or your guy friends are, are constantly um, bashing your spouse, get out of that. Yeah. Because they're setting you up for divorce. They're setting you up to ruin your marriage. Yeah. Well. Temptation is not sin. The process is in James. In fact, really quickly, go to James chapter one. I'm gonna read from verses 12 to 18. If you're taking notes, put these down. James, James, a bondservant of God, Jesus Christ. Let's see, hang on. Verses 12 to 18. James chapter one, verses 12 to 18. Blessed is the man who what? So what does that say? Some temptations, they what? They don't go away quick. Some temptations don't end as quickly as we want them to. Sometimes you're stuck in a situation you want to be out of, and that thing is there, and you're like, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. What God is actually doing is he's going to build perseverance in you. But blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive what? So you know that there's a crown given to those who endure in the midst of temptation. Because it's given to those who love him. 
So let me, let me help you with this one. How many of you guys would like to have victory? You have victory over sin if you're in Christ. That's a given. How many of you would like to find victory over temptation all the time? All right. So the in-between times, you need to spend time with Jesus and grow more in love with him. What will happen then when those things come, I'm not interested in that, thanks. It doesn't appeal to me, thanks. When, jo- when, when, um, pardon me, when Joseph was tempted and, and she came to him, Potiphar's wife came to him and said, come on, let's, my husband won't know, blah, blah, blah. He says, how can I sin against my God? It wasn't, uh-uh, you're married and you're, no, how can I sin against my God? His love for Christ was greater than the desire that he had to fulfill himself. See, there's a love for Christ and then there's the fear of God. See, the spirit of God comes. I think it's in in Isaiah chapter 11. It mentions seven aspects of the spirit of God and the fear of the Lord is one of the aspects that the Holy Spirit brings. The fear of the Lord is brilliant when you're on your own. The fear of the Lord will, will, will save you, will help you when it comes to secret sin. When you think nobody else is looking, when you don't think there's anybody else, God's there, he's watching. And the fear of the Lord will actually help you to overcome when the temptation shows up. You have the love of Christ where you're, I love him more than I want to fulfill myself. And then I have the fear of God because I know he sees and I'm gonna give an account. So you've got both the love and the fear, two sides of one coin that help you overcome. But a crown is given to those who love him. I'm telling you, there's freedom. There's liberty. There is a way of escape that he has for you. Oh, Lord, help us. There are certain sins that happen when you're just on your own. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, it's up, bless you. If it means get up and go into the other room, do it. Say no, I'll do it. Say, well, it's awkward, it's hard. Yeah, do it anyway. Don't give into it. Don't give into it. And the person that's being spoken to, you know what I'm talking about. The victory of the saint is in Christ. It's the hope of glory, Christ in you. The provision of his spirit and grace. So when, 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 this, when we endure temptation, what happens is, let me just say this to you. When you're being tempted, God's not condemning you. He's not saying, well, you shouldn't even be bothered by it. He's not saying that. You have a heavenly father and you have the son of God who right now stands at the right hand of the father, actually sits because his work is done. He sits at the right hand of the father. You know, he's praying for you to overcome and he's praying for you in such a way because he knows exactly what it was like. Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in all ways like we are yet was without sin. So that means he knows the way through and there's grace, there's help, there's power, there's enabling that he will give you if you'll come to him in the midst of it. So when you're being tempted with something and you know what it is, and you're being tempted, you could go, Jesus, I'm being tempted by this. You know what he's not gonna do? He's not gonna go, oh, I had no idea. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he's for you, he's for you. 
He's saying, you, you got this, man. I've got your back. There's an overcoming. There's grace that's available right now. Sometimes it'll be wisdom that comes. Get out of that situation. Do this, do that. There's liberty and there's freedom. There's a way out. My friend Sam Matthews was talking about this once and he said there was a guy he was talking to. He was having an affair with a married woman. And the guy said, no, I can't help it. I just, I have to do it. He said, if you got to handcuff yourself to your room, do it so you don't sin. <laughs> I think it was John Piper put it this way. He said, if you were sitting there, I know this is going to pick on guys, so forgive me. He said, if you were a guy and you're sitting there and you're tempted to look at porn on your phone. And he said, all of a sudden, uh, some guy breaks into your house grabs your wife and says, if you look at that, I'm slitting her throat. How easy would you put the thing down? You know what that means? It doesn't have a hold on you. You just have to love something more than you do that. I'm trying to help you because there's deceptions that bring you into bondage in your thinking. And the Bible says that we need to take every thought captive because there's things that exalt themselves against the true knowledge of God. And they say, well, everyone has to sin. They have to continue in sin. I've heard preachers say this, but the Bible said, John says this, I write these things to you so that you do not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who's the propitiation for our sins, not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus has a way through. Amen. So you don't have to live a degraded lifestyle. You don't have to walk in darkness. You don't have to live in opposition to God. You get to be one of the holy ones, which saints means, and you get to walk with Christ in light. This is the freedom that comes from Jesus. Hmm. So when you face it, can I just say these? Just when you face it, there's not something wrong with you. It doesn't mean you're not saved. The victory comes when you stop going around in circles. <laughs> I need to finish up. Let me just put up Romans chapter eight and verse two. Romans chapter eight and verse two. You need the work of the spirit in your life to overcome, full stop. You need the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to overcome. For the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus has made us what? From the law of and death. Notice it's not will make you free. What does it say? Has made you free. So when you're in Christ, are you free? Yes. Already done. If, if, how many of you guys have ever changed jobs? So you change a job, you quit working for one business, and then you start working for someone else. And let's just say you're, you're at home, you quit this job, maybe you got two days off before you start the new job. And, and, and you're at home, and uh, you're just potting around the, the house and doing whatever, because you don't have to be anywhere, it's great, great freedom, right? And then all of a sudden there's a, a knock at the door. And, and, you, and you open the door, and your boss, your old boss is standing there. Why aren't you in work? Like, what? Why aren't you in work? Well, I don't work for you anymore. You're not my master. <laughs> what would you do? Would you try to negotiate? Just shut the door. Why? I don't work for you. Your wages are horrible anyway. 
Sin is not your... And the wages of sin is... And I, I shut the door. I like, what's that old song? Shut the door, keep out the devil. I'm not a singer, so... Shut the door. There's a way out. You don't have to behave the same way. And because the thought comes to do it doesn't mean something's wrong. You got to put up the shield. You stand. No, I'm not going down that road. Can I just say this to you? Is that if you sin, it doesn't mean you're possessed either. Some of you have been delivered from demons. And then you sin again. You're like, oh no, what does that mean? It means you sin to repent. Does that mean I'm possessed again? No, it doesn't mean you're possessed again. So every time a thought comes into your brain, it doesn't mean, well, that means it's a spirit. There's something in me. There's something wrong with me. No, that's just not true. We still have the flesh that's around us. It's still like right there. It's like we're carrying this dead thing around wherever we go. And sin is still in the flesh. And temptation tries to get in through that. But we have the power in Christ to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And we can stand in a different capacity. Is this making any sense? Because I, I, want, I want those of you who first have just come to faith, because some of you, um, if you fall, if you sin, I don't want you thinking, well, maybe it didn't work for me. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe, I don't know, it works for everyone else and not for me. That's a lie, and the enemy's speaking it to you, so you go back and you quit. That's not what's happening. The temptation is coming in. So what happens if you do sin? Can I just come to a conclusion on that one? So 1 John 1, 1.9, let's start there. 1 John 1.9. If we, he is, oh, there's that faithfulness of God thing again, all right? So he's faithful and to what? And to, from. I talk too long. Sorry, guys. The reason it doesn't say merciful and gracious and it says just is because the payment of your sin has already been made. That Jesus made, the covenant that Jesus made in his blood has already paid for you, redeeming you, has already dealt with all of your sin on the cross. Lord, help us to get this. See, the work that Jesus did when he died for you, he literally took the punishment and took your sin on himself so that it was fully paid for and he took it into the tomb and left it there. So your sin is now where? It's in that tomb, wherever that is. It's done, it's gone, it's paid for. The debt has been fully paid for. So if God was to turn to you and say, yeah, I know you've kind of confessed it. I know Jesus has died, but I think you need to suffer a bit for your sin. It's called double jeopardy. He's punishing you for something that's already been dealt with in Christ. So he won't do that. So when you go to him and you're honest, confession just means to agree. 
You don't need to go into a box with some dude sitting across some screen in there with some collar on and tell him all your deepest, darkest things and some of the things you really didn't do anyway just so you can take communion the next day. God forbid. If you confess it to him, bring it. Don't, don't use this. Oh, Lord, I made a mistake. That isn't what it says. It says if we confess our... So call it what? There's, there's, I, think, I don't want to say psychology in this because I don't like it that way, but there, there's a mental part of this. Because when we call it sins, it, it stings. I'd rather say mistakes, right? It's, it's an error. When we call it sin or sins, we feel it. Can I say, you're supposed to. Jesus felt it. He paid for it with his blood. It's a future deterrent. We don't want to hurt him. We don't want to disappoint him. We don't want to be those that function in a way, now that he's given us grace, that somehow we just do whatever we want. We're not trying to sin and get away with it. We don't want it in our lives anymore. And so we acknowledge to him, Lord, I sinned. I did fill in the blank. And it says that he's faithful and just because the payment has already been made. Jesus has already paid for it. What it means is this. When it's like, how do I put this? You know, when people get married, they come into a legal relationship, a legal covenant. And let's say they have a tiff. Do they become unmarried? They have a tiff. What needs to happen? They just say, I'm sorry, I forgive you, kiss, key, kiss, right? And they make up. Can I say to you, when we, because the covenant has been made, we've been brought into a covenant relationship with God. We're his. So what happens if we sin? It's not God who's at fault. Who is? We are. So what do we need to do? I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Not kiss, kiss, but you know what I'm saying. And what we do is it's relational aspect. It's not legal. The legal payment's already been made. The legal ownership of your life is already his. It's the relational aspect of fellowship with him. So if you're walking at odds with God, it's never fun. There is no peace for the wicked. But when we've sinned and we acknowledge it to him, then we're back into that fellowship. Say, well, don't I have to wait a time? It's like, you know, with your kids. Have you ever done this with your kids? Your kids are disobedient. You put them on the naughty chair. Or you put them on the naughty step. Do you know what you're teaching them? Delayed reconciliation. You're telling them, I know you said sorry, but you still need to sit there and suffer for a while. And when I see fit, then you can come off and we can be reconciled in relationship. That's not the gospel. Because he says, as soon as you confess it, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive and cleanse from all unrighteousness. There's no delay in the reconciliation. Some of us think that we've sinned, we've done something wrong. I have to go by myself. I have to pout for a while. I have to beat myself up for a while. I have to do some things to make myself feel bad enough. Then after a little while, then I can go back and say, I'm sorry. Are you saying, Pastor, all I have to do is even after I've sinned is to come right back to him? You know how humiliating that is? Yeah. It's a deterrent. Do it. Don't wait. There is no naughty step. He loves you and gave himself for you. 
to reconcile you to himself in relationship. The blood of Christ was given on your behalf so that you could be forgiven. Please hear me. The blood of Jesus Christ needs to speak louder in your life than your past failures. The blood of Jesus Christ needs to speak louder to you than all the things you've done wrong. The blood of Jesus Christ speaks forgiveness and reconciliation on your behalf. You say, yeah, but my sins are, yes, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. And his sin is more valuable. Where sin abounded, grace did hyperabound because of the blood. Secondly, what do I do if I sin? Repent. I had a friend of mine put it this way once. He said, I used to lose my temper. I used to get angry. I don't think it was demonic in his life, but he did. He kept getting, losing his temper. He said, finally, I got angry at my anger. And it went away. He was so fed up with remaining in the same space. He's like, I'm not doing this anymore. There's a repentance that comes into play where you're just like, I'm not putting up with it. You don't have to. You can go on your face before God and you cry out to him. Say, well, how long? As long as it takes. Jesus, I don't want this in my life anymore. I don't want my eyes to wander. I don't want my heart to wander. I don't want to be a wanderer like that. Lord, I want my life to be on the straight and narrow. I want to walk with you in light. And whatever it takes, Lord, he's a good, good father and he knows how to help you. Repent. It means to change your mind. Anyone ever been on a diet? All right, this is the way it works, right? So you're on a diet for six weeks. And some of you fast the whole time. You're like, I'm not eating anything. Whip, right? And then, and then, and then uh, I don't know, maybe you quit sugar, you quit this. And then after six weeks, you're like, oh, I've had enough of that. And then what do you do? Go back to what? Eating everything that you were before. And what happens? It comes back. I don't know. My jacket's getting a bit tight again. And what it means is this. You didn't repent. Please hear me. Change your mind about the food and the portions that you eat. Change your mind about it. So some of you eat past 11 o'clock. Bad idea. Change your mind about it. I'll do it differently. When you do that, when you lose it, guess what? It'll, it'll stay off. Because you're not going to go back to the same behaviors that you had. Sin's the same way. Repent. Don't give space. Can I just say this to you? Some people use the word porn. Now, in, in the Greek, sexual immorality, pornos or pornea is the word that's used. Jesus said, if you look with lust after a woman like that, you commit adultery in your heart. What if you just started calling it adultery? Lord, I'm not committing adultery. <coughs> That's like, that's severe, isn't it? It's like a big 10 one. People have problems with pornography, but adultery? No, you stop that. What if you called it that instead? I'm not having a go. I'm telling you, there's freedom. There's a way out. There's a way free. There's a way to walk in freedom so that you're not giving yourself constantly to these things. If you fall, confess it to the Lord. Repent, change your mind, and then get back up. If your children fall on the ground, they're learning how to walk. They fall on the ground. Oh, no, I fall down. What do you do? Do you leave them down there on the ground? Like, oh, I can't get up. I'll never be able to walk. Get up, boy. Get up, honey. Come on, get up. Keep going. You have a good, good father. 
When you go down, he doesn't want you to stay down. What does he want you to do? Get up. Come on. Get up. Come on. You say, well, I fell again. Yeah, you can see that. <laughs> Get up. Confess it. Repent. Go on now. Go on. There you, have, you have a heavenly father and you have Christ at the right hand of the father. And he's praying for you that you won't fall. And he'll present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy, holy and without blame. That's his goal for you. And he'll work it all together. And so the work of the spirit in your life is not he's going to make you do or make you not do. It's you submit to him and you cooperate with him. And as you do, you find his power at work in you to step forward. Some of you in your past have had spirits that have been working in your life. They've dominated you and they, they make you, they pressurize you until you do it. That is not the way the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit invites you in that relationship and he says, submit to the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord, there's liberty. And then he invites you into cooperation with him because for you, it's always a step of faith. I trust you. I'm stepping in faith. Power comes. It's different than when you worked with other spirits. The Holy Spirit, the Most High God. And you get to walk in light. Let me just finish with this verse here. In 1 John chapter 1. And beginning with verse 5, it says, This is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have what? Fellowship with one another. And notice what it says. It says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, what? It, in the text, it's a constant word. It means it cleanses and keeps on cleansing you. So because you have that relationship with him, as you're like intent, I'm walking with you, Jesus, when there's things that come against you, he's saying, keep going, you're in the light. As you do, you have fellowship with other believers, and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse and keep on cleansing and keep on cleansing and keep on cleansing until you're presented faultless before his presence. So he's the one we keep walking with all the way home. Amen? Now, I don't know if, if, if your life is still bound, if your life is still bound and you find you just keep going in circles, there is a verse in the James that says, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. There are times where we've dealt with it before God. We're trying to get, we don't want it to be anymore. But sometimes if we humble ourselves with a trusted brother or sister, and, we, and you gotta choose wisely who you ask. But if you, if you go with them and they can pray with you and you stand together because if two of you agree on earth, it will be done for you in heaven. And so there are times when we humble ourselves in that situation and then God by his spirit working together will bring that elimination so that changes falls off and there's freedom. Could you imagine how much time you'd save if you just walked free? How much more you could give yourself to other things that God has for you? if you just walked in the freedom that he had for you. Can you imagine the joy constantly, the fruit of the spirit that you could walk in if you didn't go down those dark roads anymore and you just walked with him in light?
I'm telling you tonight, Jesus has been setting captives free. He cleanses from all sin. He is risen from the dead and he's able to save completely those who come to God through him. Amen. Father, thank you for each and everyone here tonight. Thank you for those that will, Lord, even watch this at a later, later season. I pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, you'll cut through by the power of your word like a sword and separate soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Lord, that you'll deal with those things so that real repentance, real freedom to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart, that you'll bring liberty and freedom You'll bring the conviction, Lord, the godly sorrow that produces repentance leading to salvation. And Lord, I pray for the freedom that we as your people may walk in the freedom with which you've made us free. That we may live, Lord, before you as we ought. And Lord, when we face temptation to say no, that Lord, there is ways around it. There's ways through it. You're not condemning us in the midst. And there's grace available in the midst of the struggle. And Lord, for those when we've fallen, we just praise you for grace. We praise you for the blood of Jesus. Lord, we don't want to go back down those roads. We don't want to go back again. We want to be those to walk forward with you in light, knowing your blood constantly cleansing us to present us faultless before your presence. We cast ourselves on you tonight, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.